Welcome to the podcast about two good friends sharing stories to surprise and delight each other. I'm Courtney Farrell. And I'm Mason New. And this is I Got One For You. Welcome to the podcast, I Got One For You. I'm Courtney Farrell. And this is Mason New. And this is the uh, podcast where two good friends have a conversation and try and surprise and delight each other, have each other think a little bit, laugh a little bit, maybe even cry, but definitely get excited about the world that we're all creating together. That's right. So, Court, um, I got one for you. So, it's, uh, you know, we're getting close to the summer now. and Thank and God. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, winter. Hello, summer. Hello. Hello, summer of 2021, by the way. Thank you. Yes. Exactly. Anyhow, uh, so some friends of ours who have older children, they're getting ready to graduate and they're going on to college or their next chapter in life. And so I was thinking about it and just like, oh, wow, you know what, what that might be like. And then I thought it started thinking about the summer and then summer jobs. That's right. And I, I read this headline that uh, this will be one of the best years ever for teenagers for really? summer summer work. Be just you know, there's just going to be loads of opportunity, economy coming back, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I I was thinking back and I was thinking about my first summer job, and I can assure you that no teenager would want. <laughs> my first summer job. Your first summer job is at an open position <laughs> since you left it. Yes, that is exactly right. What was it? We can't we can't get this job filled. We can't understand the last guy. He didn't really like it. So the the very first job that I had, I was probably nine. Okay, obviously we've got some child labor problems here. That's right. I like that though. Um, but my brother who was, you know, at the time he would have been 18 years old. But my brother had gotten hired to clear out this wooded area of this person's property. And we grew up in the country, and my brother was really good with a chainsaw and was just a very industrious, hardworking, you know, physically fit guy. Anyway, either he, well, he probably didn't come up with this, but my mother probably said, well, you need to take Mason with you and, you know, yeah, him... two birds, one stones. Bye, boys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello, summer. <laughs> Hello, summer. Yeah, my mom's summer job was <laughs> getting us out of the That's house. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so uh, my brother goes down, and, and he's like, well, come on with me, and he's got the chainsaw, and he's got all this stuff. So we we work on this, and it was a really thick area of woods, and he would cut down the trees, and the ones that were – the the bigger branches or the smaller trees it was my job to carry them uh to this place and we'd have to and we'd stack them and you know I was a little guy so but I would you know he was not about to like <laughs> he wasn't giving you the oh mother pass yeah it's okay he's it's so a, hot look at his face is so red <laughs> yeah exactly we have to get him some Gatorade <laughs> Yeah, my brother, my brother, my brother, I don't even think he shared his Gatorade. Anyway, so the the people who own the property, they happen to have a billy goat. Ooh, they'll eat anything. 
Yeah, and that was why he was in this wooded area because they had a ton of poison ivy too, which I found out later. The uh, hard way. <laughs> the hard way. Oh yeah. N- not the poison ivy that the goat the goat didn't get to. That's right. You took care of it. <laughs> anyway, so this goat's name was Duke, right? <laughs> and and uh, so my brother is cutting the down the trees and everything, and I told him I was like, I got to go home for lunch. So he said, Fine, whatever. He's gonna keep on working. So I go home, I come back 30, 40 minutes later, whatever it was, and there's Duke, the goat, <laughs> and and Duke is hogtied <laughs> around a tree. Stop. <laughs> On his side, his legs was was this was this a warning from your brother about what would happen to you if you ever went home for lunch again? I never thought about that. That's totally true. And anyway, don't worry. No, the Duke was not harmed. There were no animals harmed in, in the this. taping uh, in of the taping this podcast. Of but anyway, long story short, he Duke was hogtied around a tree. His legs together and i'm like greg what what happened and he said that damn uh goat came and bucked at me a couple times and charged him no so way. my so my brother just wrestled him down so actually you know maybe maybe there are two people who haven't filled that position <laughs> me and duke <laughs> <laughs> you know it's so good I, I i really believe in summer jobs i just mm-hmm. i think you ought to start working the second you have the inclination and enough chutzpah to do I agree. it. And um, my mother is incredibly entrepreneurial. And at a very young age, we she announced that we would have a summer job and that it was going to be selling vegetables. And there was a nice man who'd drive a vegetable truck down our street and we would buy all the vegetables from him. And then we would take those vegetables and go sit at the bottom of our street and we would stay there until we'd sold them. We just charged, you know, whatever. We charged double from what we paid for it. Mm-hmm. And then we had enough money, usually after paying my, my mother back, we had enough money to go buy candy or whatever it was. But that was mm-hmm. my first job, is sitting in the hot sun, selling corn and sugar snaps and tomatoes and all the rest of it to whoever was coming down the highway, Route 12, North Carolina. But I think it's important. I think it's I think it's a good opportunity. My children, I tried to do the same thing for them, and I asked them. They were probably f- six and four. And I said, "So it's time to get a summer job. Summer's here." Starting <laughs> six and four. Yeah, I, I jumped the gun. <laughs> but every, look, every generation tries to outdo their parents. This is where I was going to shine. So I said, "It's a summer job time. Got to get a summer job." And my my daughter said, okay, well, we'll have a lemonade stand. I said, well, what are you going to buy lemonade with? You don't have anything. <laughs> and she said, I don't know. What am I going to do? I'm only six. I'm only six. <laughs> anyway, she came downstairs with a big poster and all misspelled, and it said advice and compliments for sale. <laughs> and so for the past 10 years, they have gone and walked themselves down to the lighthouse. They stand in front of a big sign that says advice and compliments. Advice for sale, compliments for sale, and they sell. Get your fresh compliments. That's it, right there, and they give them. You know, if oh, you come I pay, love that idea. Fifty cents, a dollar, and they give you advice on life, which is you know worth what you pay for it, and a compliment, which is actually pretty good. That is good. I, I mean, that's. I bet they would they would sell more compliments than 
fresh advice, tomatoes. They, they do well. They do. They do I, I told them from the beginning. I said, "You all understand what you're selling here, don't you?" Advice and compliments? No, ma'am. That's not what you're selling. You're selling cuteness. Mm. So go put that onesie bubble on and go put your hair in pigtails. <laughs> you got a summer job to do, and you're selling cute. Get out there. I need to stop by the advice and co- I don't know if I need any compliments, but I definitely need some advice. <laughs> don't we all? So what? So let me ask you this: What was your best job, and what was your worst job? <laughs> oh gosh! And it, you know, obviously, I think getting butted by a billy goat while you're walking through poison ivy and hauling sticks—that might qualify for the worst. <laughs> well, it certainly wasn't the best. <laughs> Um, well, I, uh, probably one of the best jobs I had, you know, before you sort of get into the professional world is I went out to, uh, Sun Valley, Idaho, and I've talked about that trip on, on previous, uh, conversation in previous conversations with you, but I worked on the trail maintenance crew for the Sun Valley company. And I mean, the cast of characters that were there were I mean, these guys were so wild and funny. And, we, you know, I was just a college kid. Like, you know, I didn't know anything. But. Not smart like you are now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. But they, so the, the, the guy who was in charge, who was the foreman, his name was Denzel. And he had ridden bulls to pay his way through college. Wow. <laughs> okay, so he was my. He wasn't my immediate boss, but he was in charge of everyone. And we were there at, you know, zero six in the morning and we were heading up the hill to cut down trees or stumps or rake rocks or do all these things on the ski trails that, you know, during the summer. Sure. I, yeah. And um, I mean, there were there were some characters and that's what made the job so much fun. There was a guy. His real name was Eric. But he was a pathological liar, so everyone called him earache. <laughs> and he told he told us he told us that he had won a transatlantic sailing competition race. Huh. Uh, by, by the way, he was a resident of Idaho. And right, great sailing in Idaho. <laughs> and and when he wasn't when he wasn't sailing, he was also participating in the very first artificial heart transplant surgeries <laughs> sure yeah and just just for the fun of it he was doing the trail stuff just to be a good citizen <laughs> yeah exa- exactly right. working with me that's right um there was another guy so denzel had a son and and the son he was fine he, he was very different than his dad he wasn't riding bulls uh to pay his way through college but he was fine but he had a buddy um and his nickname was killdozer <laughs> because his favorite movie was some random B movie horror movie called Killdozer, so everybody called him Killdozer. I mean, he was probably a, he was a very quiet guy. He'd been in the army. I don't know. Maybe he's not a good guy, but he was Killdozer. And then the final one. And this is the last. I'm sorry about this, but I just these characters are coming back to me as I'm talking. There was a a guy who was. It's like six, five or six, six, and about 135 pounds. <laughs> and they called him Stick. <laughs> <laughs> and, st- and Stick, Stick, um, 
drove everyone crazy and he worked on the heavy equipment and the cranes or something and one time he did something to somebody and the guy walked over and when stick wasn't looking he picked up his cooler which is what you carried your lunch in not your lunch box it was a cooler because you were out there all in the, in the sure. hot and he takes it over to the chipper shredder. You know what that is? Yes, I do. <laughs> it, it, it can, just and he just throws the whole in. thing in there. <laughs> and so Stick comes back over and says, hey, where, where'd my lunch go? And the guy goes, oh, it's all over there. And he's pointing <laughs> to this field where the thing had sprayed his lunch and his lunch is cooler everywhere. So anyway, sorry. That that was a that was a whole litany of people, but I mean that was the best job. I mean, it was a summer job and those guys were they were so fun to be with. I I think sometimes especially those early jobs, mm-hmm. it's a lot less about what you're doing <laughs> and it's a lot more about the people that you interact oh, with. I oh, mean, you learn sure. so much about people you've never come across right they not the same kind of people you went to school with mm-hmm. not the people who are on your baseball team or your whatever coming along it's just a completely and utterly different life experience and i think it's those characters that actually give you a little character oh oh for sure i mean we're sitting here talking about it 20 years later more than 20 years later and i learned a lot from them you know and these were these were hard-working guys i mean they you know, yeah. anybody who rides a bull ever <laughs> Even if it's mechanical and you can claim to stay on for more than three, you're tough. Yeah. Like that's, a, was, that's a badge right there. He was tough. Tough or he stupid. Tough. Maybe a combination of both. <laughs> and that is a, that's a, have you ever real, have you been to a rodeo before? Uh, yes. In fact, I went to one of the local rodeos that summer and, and saw the, the real, like, just the people who were doing it for fun. Yeah, well, they're doing right. it for Friday night cash. Yeah. I mean, they're just, yeah. that's a yeah, hope, yeah, that's right? what I mean. I yeah. mean, gosh, it is, that's some crazy, it really is a lot. Where nice. have you seen a rodeo? In Dallas, Texas. We go. Oh, and, of course. And we, well, actually, we go down to either Houston, that's the big, big rodeo, mm-hmm. or just go over to Fort Worth. And I, I, as a young person, I loved them. And as a, then I became a mother. And there's something, there's a lot of wonderful things that happen to you when you become a mother. I mean, really, really wonderful things. Mm-hmm. But there are a few things. That are not so wonderful and one of them is that some things that you used to enjoy you no longer enjoy because you see that young boy on the back of that bull and you're pretty sure that he's gonna get hurt and mm-hmm. you feel the motherliness of that yeah. I wish I wish I didn't I'd really like to go and have more of a you know Spanish running with the bulls kind of mentality but I don't now now I just I, I find myself in deep prayer Hoping that the <laughs> the um the animal loses and that the boy walks yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, mean, I like barrel racing. That's fine. Yeah, that's a that's a good healthy thing for everyone to do. A little barrel racing. <laughs> I like the beginning where there's all the pledge of allegiance and yeah, you know the Star Spangled Banner, yeah. but the rest of it is pretty mutton busting. Sure, I'll take a little bit of that. <laughs> but the rest what's, of it worries what's me. What's mutton busting? Uh, Mason. Mutton busting is where they have uh, the young children ride a sheep. Oh, right, right, right. Right. I didn't know that's what it was called. And then they also have the thing where they put a, a bunch of little calves out there, and you try and take the ribbon off the calves' uh-huh. tail. That is funny. Uh-huh. I'll give it to you. That that part I really liked. Well, my my first my first job out of college. So we got to the end of end of four years, 
at the University of Virginia, and I saw people around me. I guess they were applying to jobs. They were sending in resumes. Mm -hmm, they were, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't feel, it didn't feel like the universe wanted me to do that. I guess <laughs> so. I didn't send any of those out. Resumes or sure, letters? resumes or even you know an application for something, <laughs> which again, even while it was happening, I was thinking, yeah, maybe I should be doing that. But then, <laughs> then I felt no, this this path I'm on right here is fine. This path to nowhere. So I convinced my parents that what I needed to do at graduation was to go to the MBI program, the Masters in no, it was a, let's see, Master no Masters. Ooh, what did the M McIntyre? stand for? Yes, McIntyre. Yes. Thank you, mm -hmm. thank you. McIntyre Business Institute. Institute's the key word here. Institute <laughs> basically means can you pay a little bit more money for your child to stay in school for a little bit longer? And so. Uh, my parents were nice enough to put me through this program, and it was basically six more weeks of of college where mm -hmm. we were learning all about business and strategy and leadership. It was, it was a really good course. Mm -hmm. um, but you'd go in the morning at around 8, and you'd stay until about 4 in the afternoon, and they'd take you through a bunch of different classes. One of the classes was career development. And one day the career development professor came in and said, is there anybody here who'd like to be in a mock interview? And there were about 250 people in the program, and I raised my hand, like, I'll do a mock interview, sure, I don't in mind. Front, in front of everyone. Sure, in front of everyone. Sure, I'll do a mock interview. That sounds like fun. And so I guess she asked me that on a Monday, and the mock interview was on a Wednesday. So we, we break for lunch, and she comes over to me and says, okay, you ready for the mock interview? I said, sure. She goes, okay, it was going to be with a company called EDS. And I felt that hot red burning <laughs> feeling that goes up your face when you realize that you haven't done something you should have i thought mock interview meant pretend i yeah. didn't yeah i thought that that's meant what, yeah that's mock. what i would have thought like like make a mockery like mock yeah but mock for them meant eds was coming and they were going to do an interview oh. with a student in front of all in the other in front of all the other students oh. <laughs> So I, I, luckily I was. Oh my goodness. Well, I wasn't a stranger to the last minute. Luckily, I'd had <laughs> many educational years of how to prepare things at the last minute, and so I ran home. It was about a mile away. I mean, I ran probably my fastest mile was not actually <laughs> in, in a, the in sport <laughs> of track and field. It was running from the McIntyre Business School to my apartment. I ran in. I'm looking at the. I have I have no clean shirts, so I find a dirty white blouse. It's got a chocolate stain on it. <laughs> but when I put on my red suit and button the top button, it covers the chocolate stain. And I I've got that. I got my 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 high my heels, my little heels that I wore. I look like a newborn horse on ice skates because never could really walk in heels. And I put those in my newborn hand. Horse. I I keep my running shoes on. I sprint back. I'm like a boxer that's been through eight <laughs> rounds. I pull my hair back in something. I run into, this is pre-internet here. I run into the uh, the career services office, and I go through a file folder, E. I'm looking for E, A, B, C, D. I pull out the file folder, E. I find EDS, and there's one paragraph. And it says, this is Ross Perot's company. Mm -hmm. Used to be a right. part of GM. And basically, 
is a consulting firm to a lot of government contracts. Mm -hmm. That's about as much as I got. It stood for electronic data systems. I did have that. I did memorize that in these very hot last white minutes. <laughs> and I walk in there, <laughs> and this guy, Gary Gruber, I, I still remember him. He sort of looks like you, actually. He had, he had um, dark black hair, nicely cut, coat and tie, well-presented gentleman, and we sit down to do this mock interview. My very good 250 <laughs> fellow MBIers are there to watch this, and uh, I only remember two questions him asking. The first question that I remember was he said, so Courtney, you're a history major. Why do you think that you can do this job, you know, from a history major platform and I said well Gary I think it's kind of closed-minded to think that a history major could only be a teacher or a lawyer you know history studying patterns of the past and applying them to patterns right, of the future right, right and you know quite frankly I think history majors are primed to do pretty much any job as That's a result a great of answer training. it is he his response was well I've never been called closed-minded in an interview before <laughs> I don't think you were going to get that job. And I thought, ooh, well, it's the first time for everything, Gary. Undeterred, we kept going forward, and he asked me, this is the next question I remember. He asked me, did I ever think that there was a time that it was appropriate to lie? Oh, wow. Which I felt like was a catch-22. I mean, I felt yeah. like that's a trap. Right. Right, because, I mean, at this point, I'm 23 years old. I can't say I've never lied mm -hmm. in 23 years had had you lied once or twice by the time yeah, you turned course, 23 course, I mean yeah so you know that felt a little bit in the hot seat there and luckily I must have gotten my sleep the night before because I said well Gary if if your wife's <laughs> just had a baby and she comes down the stairs for the first time in a new little dress she's brought and she asks you if that dress makes her look good I suggest saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I knew I had him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I got the job. You this got the job right crazy. there? I got that, the job. From that interview? Yeah, and this is what I don't understand. I, I think it was actually a mock interview, but Gary gave me the job. and That is amazing. It kind of was, because in that class of 250 people, I was the least qualified person <laughs> if all of us had sent in resumes and cover letters and asked for that job mine would have been the last cover letter <laughs> and resume picked but gary gave me the job wow because of those answers i don't know well i, I mean guess. there could have been I had some a other really ones. nice red hot suit i was wearing and a nice pressed <laughs> clean white chocolate stained shirt it had to have been that oh my goodness oh gosh uh well or you could have said Gary I have lied I called you close minded I was just <laughs> that would have been good yeah. that's, that's too quick Mason I couldn't have I... well I I remember one of my first jobs out of out of college you know of course I went in the Marine Corps so we're not going to talk about that now that was a job uh, of course but I came back and I was working for this company up in uh, in northern virginia and i got into the tech world initially and i was an english major so i was sort of fighting through the same thing like what do you you know but this was a sales position so it wasn't like i was doing any kind of technical work but 
you asked earlier about what was the worst job and this job was not the worst by any means i mean it was it was a great job in many ways i've met some really good people people i'm still friends with today but there was one incident that was really unpleasant that really taught me uh, a valuable lesson and i had been you know it was a sales position and i wasn't very good at sales i was trying very hard but i was i was not very good at it um Anyway, I, I pursued this one company. It was a satellite company. And I was very excited because it was a big, well-known satellite company. And this is, you know, like you said, this is 1998 or so. So I tried to book one of the sales engineers to come with me because I knew that they were going to ask a lot of technical questions that I wouldn't be able to answer. One guy couldn't come. Second guy comes with me. We go, and I think it's sort of like a mock interview, right? <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> expecting Gary Gruber on the other That's side. Right. Like, this is it's just... just a, it's a light. It's it, a light. It's, it's a light. One it's, guy's going to be there. You're going to you're gonna chat it up. You're going to chat it have up. Have some laughs. It's going to be a little informational type of thing. And, sure. You know, have some calls after. Make yeah, the sale. And obviously, I'm not selling satellites or anything sophisticated. It's just, it's the early days of websites, right? Web, web hosting. Sure. So I go in there... And I sit down with the sales engineer, and in walks not one, not two, not five, but I think it was nine people come in. (laughs) (laughs) And And they are not... Smiling? Smiley. I mean, these are all like pretty sophisticated engineer, rocket scientist kind of guys. So, and I had prepared, but obviously I had underprepared. I didn't know what I was doing. Anyway, so they sit around and they're they're asked they're just firing questions. I mean, you know, two or three chit-chatty kind of moments and then they're just right in it and they are firing questions. I can't answer them. The sales engineer can't answer them cuz they're even more technical than that. His cell phone the sales engineer's cell phone goes off in the middle of the thing, like right in front of everybody. And I look over, and one of the guys mouths to another guy, these guys blank suck. You know, you guys have probably heard enough from us. <laughs> just going to pack up my things right can, now. <laughs> you can imagine what the blank was, but he mouthed it. And I was, I was so embarrassed. And it, it, that's exactly what happened. We were like, um, you know what? This has been great, guys. I'll I'll follow up with some more collateral, and <laughs> we'll talk about things, you know, in a week or so. And they just stood up and walked out. And and I, here was the lesson that I learned. I was taking up their time. Their time is valuable. Everybody's time is valuable. So if you're going to go and ask for someone's time. You need to be prepared. You need to you need to know what you're getting into because you're you're taking somebody's asset. I feel like I'm your daughter and you're giving me this like <laughs> lecture. Well, no, wait, well, no, no I, I'm, I agree, I'm, I agree. I'm lecturing. I'm your, lecturing your, your the 22 year old Mason New, and I, I I was underprepared and 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 when that guy mouthed that it hurt you know to see him do it. But he was right.
That's right. Yeah. It's it's hard. I tell you what, it is hard when you get your first negative feedback mm-hmm. in your job, and I, it, I remember my first review at EDS, my first formal review at EDS. <laughs> I had many informal <laughs> <laughs> moments, and um, I will tell you a couple of those. My first review, this young manager. I didn't really understand the corporate structure. I didn't really understand a lot about life, much less corporations. I mean, goodness gracious, there was a dress code there at EDS. You had to wear pantyhose, which you're a man. You've never enjoyed that wonderful aspect of (laughs) femininity. It is a torture device. It it seems like it would be pretty unpleasant. It's really unpleasant. We had to wear those. You had to wear a little suit. And what they'd do is they'd have you wear these little little suits for the summer where it was 100 degrees outside, and then they jacked the temperature down to about 50 degrees <laughs> so that you were freezing. You'd have to go get cups of coffee and put them in mugs and put them between your legs to try and get some core body temperature up. Um, but my first review, this young man, his name is Mike. I don't remember his last name. I do remember sitting in the review with him and noticing that his hair was thinning, and he was only 30. And the stress of the job was so much that it was, mm. I could see the toll it was taking right. on him. And even in the review, I just thought, ooh, I never want to be this. This is not what I want to grow up and be. Um, I felt sorry for him, especially because he had to give me my review. I didn't realize it was a review until he got into it. <laughs> sort of like the mock interview. A little bit. It's a mock review. He told me, <laughs> he told me, we were doing this, we were testing computer systems, and I didn't know what I was doing or what we were doing. And we would be there until four in the morning trying to see if we could break these systems. Mm -hmm. Again, I want to reemphasize that I have no idea what we were doing. (laughs) Ever, ever in my job there did I know what I did. And so he told me that, he said that I was intimidating. That was my first feedback. I was intimidating, Mm -hmm. which I thought was, I was 100 pounds soaking wet, Mm -hmm. like 23, how could I be intimidating? That's the first one. Second one was that I had an inability to sit still. (laughs) And this will really shock you. My third voice was that I was talkative. <laughs> talkative. Talkative. If I could have just said, you know, one day I'm going to have a podcast. I'll explain what that is later. <laughs> At any rate, it upset me greatly. And mm. so I began to do what everyone does in their interviews, which is to cry. Not just cry a little bit. Not just a little tear. But I was pretty tired because we'd been up. And I hadn't had a good cry in a while. I hadn't watched The Color Purple in a couple of weeks which is what I usually my go-to cry movie Mm -hmm. and so I cried for all the things I hadn't cried for in the past couple months I don't know if you do this like you got to have one good sort of like a it's like the wet season the rainy season in Costa Rica you just got to get a get the crying out and Mike is sitting there watching the deluge of tears tears but then other things start going too when you cry that hard your nose I'm an ugly crier my sister is too. We just, that's part of the genetics. The, the face puffs up, the nose grows to several sizes bigger to accommodate the fluid. Um, it's not pretty, but I couldn't stop. At that point, I thought, this feels good. So then I think he started getting scared. And I felt sorry for him a second time because I thought, like, he doesn't understand. I'm not crying just about that. I mean, that was upsetting. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I called home to my father and, um, I told him what the guy had said to me, and he said, "Well, Court, did he did he tell you anything you didn't know about yourself already?" <laughs> Which made me laugh, and I was into that. 
Poor Mike. <laughs> Poor Mike. Mike skipped. This was crazy. And so we were in a, a job. Basically, the government and Congress had hired EDS to create the largest student loan system. The government wanted to take over student loans. It was mm-hmm. called the EADS system, E-A-D-S. I cannot tell you what that stands for. I imagine the E was education. The rest of it is you know, up to Mike to know. At any rate, <laughs> it was such a, it was so demanding. Mike had to miss his honeymoon. Oh, and this wow. is the part that's crazy. At some point, I got to move to Idaho with it. I got to move to Louisville, Kentucky with it. So all these people pick up, they move to Louisville, Kentucky, they get their kids in school, they buy houses. We moved to Louisville, I think, in sometime around July. And in September, September, Congress had hired four other companies to do the exact same job, figuring it was so hard that only one out of the five would make it. But instead, three out of the five make it. Instead of picking one of the three and dealing with the other two lawsuits, they just canceled the whole whole contract. Oh. So they paid five companies amazing amount of money, and then they end up canceling. So all these people had to leave and go do something else they put their kids in schools mm. it's crazy thing to watch but mike didn't get to go on his honeymoon and the thing got canceled and it was a good lesson for me because mm-hmm. you gotta you have to think about what it is that you're doing in your life like does it the work that you do and the sacrifices that you're making for the work they're your sacrifices they're not mm-hmm. they're they're truly yours like those are mike's sacrifices i just remember that was a big big influence on me as a young person thinking, you know what, I think I want to do my own thing. I want to make the sacrifice. If I'm going to miss my honeymoon, I want it to be, to be because mm-hmm. I'm building something mm-hmm. that I have some control over, not something that's going to get pulled out from under me. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, we're, we're old enough and have enough professional experience now that you start to weigh these things, right? The, your, how your time is allocated, how you work, what you work on, who you work with, who you work with. Um, I remember I was writing a blog post um, a while ago, and this is after I'd come out of teaching in the classroom and was trying to start my own business, which is a big jump. And um, the the premise of the of the of the blog post, or it was called "The Joy of Work," that was the title of it, and I. It, it was all prompted because my kids were had a day off from school, but here I am trying to run my own business out of the home, and I'm sort of grumbling about that because they got a snow day. I don't know if I said that, but they got a snow day. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get interrupted, and I got all these things I got to do. And they went outside and started building a snowman, and they were just totally immersed in – that and I recall that there's a there's a guy named uh, Jonathan Height. It's spelled H A I D T, but I believe it's pronounced Height. Have you heard of him? No. Um, he is a professor of, I believe, psychology, but he's been in business schools. I think at one point he was at NYU Business School. He wrote this um, a, a great a. a, a very, very, very good book called The Happiness Hypothesis. And he roots um, modern dilemmas about 
work and happiness in ancient philosophy and sort of explains these things. And he brings up this concept of flow. Sure. Which he did not create. There are other scientists that talk about flow. Anyway, the point of the story is while I was watching the my children build the snowmen, I was realizing that that's really what the joy of work is, the, that when you hit that flow of doing the work you're supposed to do, joy is not the absence of drudgery. No. Joy is doing the work we're all supposed to do. And it's and it's elusive, but it's but that to me seems like what the job and what work is really about. It's interesting. I have you know, it's once you've been in a job for you, you were a teacher for how many years? I was 15 years as a teacher, 13, the latter 13 in one place, and then two years before that. So I think it's interesting. When you first start working, everything is new to you. Right. I mean, every experience is you're getting something out of every experience. Right. Even if it's you don't like what you're doing, that's okay. You now have some contrast in your life. You now know what it is you like and what it is you don't like. You're learning so much. And then after you've done something, for say ten years, mm-hmm. you you're you're you kind of know what you're doing. You're not a stranger mm-hmm. to it. it, it you're, there's there's fewer things that's giving you these learning moments. So as we get older, we end up doing <clears throat> more of the things that we know how to do. Mm-hmm. And it becomes the big challenge is how do you put yourself in the situation to do things you don't know how to do? It's very challenging. It is very challenging, but I also think. It's the key to not getting bored yep. with your life, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to find these moments of putting yourself into the the new situation and letting go of your old tricks mm-hmm. to try and hang on to a new one. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, I think it's an, you talked about the joy of work. I think that's a big piece of the joy of work. It's not always like, you know what I mean? How many times did you like, I rock that Hamlet, you know? section mm-hmm. you know, once you've rocked it two or three years you're kind of like i'm really good at teaching hamlet mm-hmm. i'm great at it so how are you going to make it interesting to you so it's like mm-hmm. you're keeping yourself alive mm-hmm. while you're doing something for other other people and I, I have to believe that maybe as we are in this stage of our lives there's the work but the work is kind of we kind of know what what the work is mm-hmm. that's made for us to do it's really an excuse to just I don't know if this is the right language, but it's an excuse to be the character in other people's lives. It's an excuse mm-hmm. to lift other people up. It's an excuse mm-hmm. to meet new people and and have a have a growing experience with them. Mm-hmm. Right? I yeah, mean, I, I agree with that. And I, I wonder if there do you think that there is a way? I mean, you you seem better at this than almost anyone I know. But do you think there's a way to shake out that inertia, that ease of, uh, I've always done it this way, this is the easiest way to do it, the path of least resistance? I don't know what the right term is, but is there a way to challenge yourself to not do that? I wonder if it's a, I think we always try to do things as individuals. As an individual, I'm going to start running and I'm going to lose weight. As an individual, mm, I'm going to yes. shake out the, you know, right. what, these things as opposed to thinking of it as a, 
a team. I think it's a pretty wonderful thing to do when you get together with another person or a group of people and say, hey, we want to have a little, you know, whether it's excitement in your life or learning in your life or, I mean, I always talk about it as my creative spirit. If my creative spirit gets bored, everything goes down. Mm -hmm. Every single, my parenting goes down, my wifing goes down, my, you know, whatever it is, my work, all of it, my creative spirit has to feel engaged. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me that and I can feel it. It's a very visceral thing. But I think if you have other people who are also holding you to it and challenging you to do things and mm-hmm. say, hey, remember how you said you wanted your creative spirit to feel alive? OK, because I just signed you up for this speech and you're giving it in two days. Good luck. <laughs> <clears throat> By the way, the topic is you know, model numbering, <laughs> whatever that is. But what if somebody like what if that's too far? What if that if you if you how do you judge that where you say, oh, well, you're given the speech in two days. What if it's somebody, I mean, there's some statistic, it's like. People think of it as death. People are more <laughs> afraid of speaking in public than death and poisonous snakes or something wow. like this. I don't know. I, I know I, you I've don't. I've heard that. I've heard I, that. I, you don't have that that fear. but And I I could give a speech. You know, I, I feel comfortable giving a speech. But if but some people, like if you said, all right, well, you want your well, creative you, spirit. You meet people where they are. Yeah. Someone okay. else might that describe it as creative spirit, but you can look at someone and say, hey, I'm looking at your pattern right here. Mm-hmm. You sit at your desk all day and you n- don't leave. You need to know what's going on outside the confines of the walls of this work. Yeah. You need to go out and get get inspired. And that's what, that's what I do for a living mm-hmm. is I go into businesses and work with people who just their to-do lists are too big. And so they never get to leave the confines of their business to actually know what's happening in the world, to actually be building products and services that are relevant, mm-hmm. right? Once you understand the world and have a little inspiration in your life, that you've had some experiences that have nothing to do with what you do for a living, and that you can then take those experiences back into what you do and let them fuel you, this is but, this is exciting. But that this, is super hard. I mean, because you have to carve out the time. Time. And if you've got a to-do list that's nine miles long and you have to respond to the responsibilities of the job and your bosses and the shareholders or whoever else you're accountable to, like that's that's hard. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that I know is this- hard. But I'm gonna, I, want, I want to say one thing is that our, t- our to-do lists, like your to-do list is it's like sourdough starter. That thing's gonna keep bubbling and making stuff. Like it never it's a never yes, ending thing. I that if, is very true. And if you clear your to do list, let's say you stay late and you clear it. You did it. You touched the top button of the American Ninja Warrior. You got to the top. <laughs> All right. Let's say you do the that. To do li- yes, that is a perfect metaphor okay, for the to-do list, by the way. Like well, right up the wall. You do. Woo! <laughs> you did it. All right. Let's say you do that. Guess what everyone is going to expect you to do tomorrow? Yeah. But if you actually come in and say, it is physically and humanly impossible for me to complete this, I can do three of these really well. Mm -hmm. Then that's what you'll get next time is three of them. But if you do 10, it's like, oh, my gosh, Mason can do everything. He can do anything. You know, if you want something to do, give it to a busy person. Just give it to Mm -hmm. him. He'll be fine. He's always great at it. I don't know what my southern accent is today. I have no idea, (laughs) but I can't stop speaking in an exaggerated (laughs) southern accent. So here it is. 
Well, Court, I love the Southern accent. You know, you know that. And <laughs> and, but you know, more importantly, I, I, this is the work of this podcast that we started. We started with this conversation because this is the joy and work that that I get. I mean, I want to go out and try to think about things. I want to laugh about things, and God knows we do that. You know, and and that's that's the point to me in in putting your energy into something. That's right. And it goes it goes further. I mean, our other this concept that you and I talk about is this idea of can we say it? Think, laugh, move to tears. I, mean, I don't think we need to cry like Mike made me cry. Not that kind of <laughs> not that kind of tears. It's more of like you're showing up emotionally connected. Like what is emotion? Right. It's right. energy in motion, right? Mm-hmm. That's what emotion is. And that you're you're actually viscerally showing up your cell your cellular self is there and mm-hmm. you're getting excited about stuff i mean quite frankly when we think of it that way even a history major could do this job <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you this if i could laugh in my job every day the way that we laugh even if i got a goat butting me <laughs> while i'm hauling trees and and i'm being able to like use my mind, like really think about things outside of just what the work is. You're right. thinking about things really broadly and seeing how it connects to the bigger picture. That's work worth doing. And if you can add in helping other people, which I know, quite frankly, you help me tremendously. And I, I hope I help you. Of course. And I think yes. that right there makes it's the perfect. Was that a trifecta? I don't know. I'm going to say it, even though it was like eight <laughs> things in there. Let's just go with try. Who's doing math here? Model numbering. <laughs> oh. Okay. Speaking of time, we're out of time. Well, it's a as pleasure. Usual, as usual, thank you, you know, for, for this time together. And, you know, I just, I love it. We wound up and talking about things I never thought we would. So Mutton busting, that's right. (laughs) Thank you, Mason. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And share with any of your friends you think might enjoy being a part of this conversation. We'd also love to hear your thoughts and stories, so visit us at www.igotoneforya.com or email us directly at igotoneforya.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.